It was a messy morning. We had our first cancellation day of the season with the snow and the wind and the slippery conditions. A lot of schools in rural Manitoba had to close. So that part of rural Manitoba, not so great this morning. But for our small town salute, we did a great segment on celebrating the exciting growth in rural Manitoba. We also had our monthly visit with Mayor Scott Gillingham, and we learned that he made a bet with a certain mayor in a certain B.C. city. And with the Santa Claus parade falling on the same day and pretty much the same time as a Jets game, we asked you about times that you got stuck in traffic for really unique circumstances. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb, who is off today. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Thursday, November 9th podcast for The Start. It is Mackling McGarry. McNabb is off today and tomorrow and next week. And we have some light snow, wind out of the northwest at 36 kilometers an hour. That's actually creating a wind chill of minus eight. So let us know what you're seeing out there. Listener Gary already weighing in with one word on the weather conditions. That word would be gross. <laughs> Greg, uh, I was a passenger this morning in my taxi, so I don't care what the conditions are. Just get me there. But uh, you... Sit back with your feet up. <laughs> yeah. Your gray poupon. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. But how was, how was your driving? It wasn't horrible. Once I got out of uh, my bay and out onto Lage and Chief Pegwis Trail, in fact, followed a salting truck all the way from Chief Pegwis Trail and Henderson Highway to the Disraeli Freeway. Oh, so, nice. Yeah, so the Sanders, the Salters, I think mostly salt this morning just because we're at that precipice, that that zero temperature where it's melting slash freezing. Mm-hmm. Probably salt is the way to go this morning. So, yeah, the earlier you're leaving your house, the the more likely you are, I would expect, to, to find some icy and slippery intersections. But as we uh, make our way through the morning, it looks like it should be okay. But that wind outside the city of Winnipeg, I think that is the uh, potential issue there in terms of covering roads. And then, of course, if it's freezing slash melting, that wind can uh, polish things up and create that that ice that, that we see from time to time. Yeah, just looking at the Manitoba road conditions map for highways, it's a scattered uh, set of conditions, partly covered roads, covered roads, reduced visibility on various highways. So if... And when, you can let us know what you're seeing out there. 204-780-6868. Shoot us a text. Hopefully the drive is not too bad. Adam says, roads are only wet today. It is not icy, people. You do not need to drive 35 kilometers an hour under the speed limit. Just hit your brakes. You'll see you're going to stop fine. So that's uh, as of 607. From right. Adam, who spends a lot of time on the highway. Okay, that's fair. Hey, I don't see anything wrong with erring on the side of caution until you can get used to the conditions. Yeah, but. some people are not as comfortable as others. Yeah. I get it. Like, if you're out there six, seven, eight, ten hours a day hustling on the highways and stuff, you're going to be way more comfortable than people who are just spending 15, 20 minutes, maybe half an hour of each day in conditions like that. So, Adam, I hear your brother, but uh, also there are others who are maybe not as comfortable as you. All right, so that could could be a dicey drive this morning. We'll keep our eyes on that. And a potentially dicey situation next Saturday, November 18th. Um, great, I mean, Santa Claus Parade coming back. That's awesome. 
Terrific. It's fantastic. Thousands of people downtown. It'll this downtown will explode with festive joy and light and color. And yeah, all right. Santa Claus parade at 5 p.m. Jets game at 6 p.m. Yeah. Um, <laughs> coordination, communication. I understand that this is the weekend when they like to do the Santa Claus parade. So the JCs know that. I'm guessing the Jets know that mm-hmm. as well. So in terms of when they lay out their availability and their dates to the National Hockey League, uh, I'm curious as to why, you know, an afternoon game, we have a lot of Saturday afternoon games, why this wouldn't be one of them. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, they're... I tried to phone Mark Chipman last night, but he, <laughs> he didn't answer my call. Well, and the problem is there are going to be people going to that game or going downtown for whatever reason. But the Jets, you know, they're going to have, you know, 11,000-ish, 12,000 people wanting to go to this game. And there are going to be some people going to the game who simply don't know the parade is happening. You'll have people who forgot the parade is happening. You'll have others who simply underestimate the impact that it will have on traffic. True. It's been years since I've gone anywhere near downtown when the Santa Claus parade is happening, at least in a car, because I remember one year, I don't know, 15 years ago, I was just trying to get home on a bus. So I had come from Polo Park and uh, transferred downtown and it took over an hour just to get out of downtown because all of the traffic had been diverted to Ellis. So no one was moving and uh, I don't know what it's been like or what it's like now. Uh, like I said, I'd rather not find out <laughs> the hard way. <laughs> well, the Santa Claus parade almost cost us thousands of dollars on our wedding night. Yeah. Yes. Cause we did not know. We were clueless to the fact that the Santa Claus parade was taking place. We got married in North Caldonan. East Kildonan, Elmwood, that part of the city up Henderson Highway. Our reception was in downtown, Fort Gary Place. So you can imagine that people would take a straight line down Henderson Highway through Portage and Maine. So we didn't know, and many of our guests didn't know, many of our guests who were taking taxi cabs to be responsible, not drink and drive <laughs> the cab. Drivers love that because oh, no. yeah, they rang up a big bill, but we almost ran out of alcohol or alcohol for the night because our cocktail party, instead of being 30 minutes, ended up being 90 minutes. Oh, so there was really a lot of concern as to because at that venue, we were allowed to bring our own alcohol in with our own liquor license, et cetera, et cetera. We would have had to purchase the alcohol then from the venue, which would have cost, you know, two or three times as much. So we just slowed the pour, just slowed things down a little (laughs) bit. And uh, things ended up turning out uh, quite nicely. Thank you very much. But yes, uh, the Santa Claus Parade, uh, whenever it's mentioned, certainly gives me the (laughs) heebie-jeebies for a different reason than it might uh, for others. Just a quick shout out and big, big thanks to anybody who's out there working to clean that up, whether it's on the road or even just like outside our building. There's a team from a, a group called Urban Jungle that is out there every morning at six. They've been there every, every morning for the last two weeks, uh, shoveling, sanding. Just they come in, check on it. If it, you know, if there's any ice built up, they've dropped some sand. They're out there shoveling right now uh, because you know it's a high rise, a lot of people <laughs> coming and going. No kidding here, so. Kudos to them and kudos to anybody who's out there working hard. It's not an easy job. 
No. We did it for two or three winters uh, in between, you know, while I was doing this and trying to get my feet wet in broadcasting, got laid off from my, my job elsewhere. And you got to do what you got to do to pay the bills, but getting up in the middle of the night to clear driveways to clear parking lots and sidewalks it's not it's not fun it's not a glamorous job so uh, kudos to those as you said brett anyone who's doing it one of our listeners uh traveling on highway said uh, six says that mr plow was out on highway six woodlands is starting to accumulate uh we live in saint laurent and are heading south to the city lake francis is glassy uh, but uh, once again, the plows have been out on Highway 6. All right. So we'll keep you updated on school closures and cancellations. And uh, let us know what you're seeing at 204-780-6868. In our next segment, we'll tell you how you can win tickets for the Bomber game on Saturday. A reminder that we have the next Country Fest code word coming up at 720. And just after 755, we'll find our next qualifier for Parks and Rec, a $5,000 trip for two to Jasper, Alberta. But right now we want to touch on something here just to kind of wrap up for now, at least a discussion that was held yesterday with the news that exclusive polling from Ipsos for Global News shows half of Canadians are worried that they'll get in over their heads due to holiday spending. Global's Navritha Ganguly reports. Everywhere you look, retailers are gearing up for the festive season. But for many shoppers with holiday sales come holiday worries. Housing prices are higher, food prices are higher, all outpacing inflation. And so there's just less money left over at the end of the year to give gifts. Three in ten Canadians expect to spend less on gifts this holiday season, according to recent polling. Younger people and those with children are most likely to be concerned about money, says pollster Sean Simpson. There are more mouths to feed, there are more backs to clothe, and there are more gifts to give at Christmas and during the holiday season. Nearly 80% of Canadians polled by Ipsos say inflation and rising interest rates have hit their holiday budgets this year. And nearly half are concerned they might not have enough money to buy holiday gifts for their families and loved ones. Canadians are actually second most concerned about inflation in the world. Among the 30 or so countries where we do monthly polling, Canadians are tied for second with Turkey, with Argentina, countries that have far higher rates of inflation. Budget concerns are also hitting travel plans, with almost 8 in 10 Canadians saying they will not travel this holiday season. Of those, half say they're staying put because of inflation. Nothing is going to get you back to the days when there was very inexpensive travel around. It's costing more than ever now. Still, some travellers are determined to find a way, according to travel insurance expert Martin Firestone. I am still seeing the what we call revenge travel, like people who haven't traveled in years that are still finding a way to travel. Yes, albeit against renewed mortgages and interest rates that are rising. Nivrita Ganguly, Global News, Toronto. I just wonder if it's one of those situations where those that, that have money right now have it, and so they're traveling, they're, they're not concerned about holiday spending, etc. And then those... That are in the middle, the mushy middle, and then those that have always struggled are are obviously concerned about this time of the year. I, I find the more people I speak to, I'm not alone in my concern and my stress about stretching the, the monthly budget. And it's not like it came out of nowhere, but it just feels as though this time around, that right now is as tight as it's been in years and years. 
And our question of the day at cjob.com for Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace at 204-832-6243. An Ipsos poll for Global News says half of Canadians are worried about spending this holiday season. How much do you plan on spending for these holidays? 55% say less. 44% say the same. And just 1% says more. Okay. Uh, yesterday, by the way, we were curious because we, we spoke with Chandra from Third and Bird and Sean from Sheepdog Brew and about the, the market that's all local makers and vendors. And uh, 49% said uh, 0 to 25% for local gifts, 17% 25 to 50, 9% 50 to 75. But listen to this, 24% say 75 to 100% of their gifts are will be local. There you go. So you add those two numbers together, like the 50 to 100, 50 to 75, 75 to 100, 33% roughly. That's got to be incredibly encouraging if you're a local maker, designer, uh, someone that that creates gifts that either celebrate local or are made local. And uh, Third Bird, you're, you're going? Yep. I don't know how you're going to restrain yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there there was one year where I went in and I went in with the intention of doing a lot of my Christmas shopping. I think I bought one gift that year, which was for you, and I still spent it like $500 mostly on me. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> Brett, here's a trick. Next time you do that, you just wrap half those things. And when you go to your dad's for Christmas, you just sneak them under the tree. Yeah. And you just put on the tag to Brett Love Santa. <laughs> Guilt-free self-giving. <laughs> there we go. Weather is for TELUS. For a limited time, save an additional $10 per month on TELUS Smart Home Security for the first six months on select plans. Call, go online, or visit a TELUS store for details. Conditions apply. <laughs> In case you're wondering what that noise is, you know how you can, like, react to things and like text messages or like emails? I just sent Sarah an email, and she liked it. Oh. So, Sarah, if you can hear me, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I, know you, I know you want to like my email, yeah. but don't do it. <laughs> and she's now saying, so sorry for the beep. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's this uh, dumb setting in our email that can't be disabled. It's so stupid. But uh, Sarah's not going to join us here for this segment. We've got Winefest tickets to give away at the end of this segment. Bomber tickets to give away for the West Final as a result of the discussion we're about to have because, as we talked about earlier, Santa Claus Parade is next Saturday, November 18th. That's awesome. Santa Claus Parade is cool. That's at 5 p.m. There's a Jets game at 6 p.m. And you know that's going to create a problem for some people trying to get to the Jets game. Uh, if you've ever been, if you've ever gone near downtown while the parade is on and did not know the parade is on, world of hurt. It's a world of hurt. So we want to talk about times you got stuck in traffic due to a unique situation. Like the time that I was uh, I was walking to work. It was a Saturday when we were still worked at Polar Park, and I was doing my Saturday shift, and I'm walking to work, and I was crossing Tilehurst by the A&W, or wanting to. But as I was approaching it, all I could hear is like the sound, the thunderous sound of the Manitoba motorcycle ride for dad. <laughs> One of your favorite events. Yeah, but I didn't. It was the first time I'd ever seen it. I didn't know it was that day. And like, oh, this is so cool. 
but how am I going to get across Portage Avenue <laughs> so I can get to work? So I eventually figured it out. But uh, yeah, there was, it was, I was about a half hour late for that, partly because I was just enjoying watching all the bikes. But tell us your story for a chance to win. Poetress, why don't we start with you, sir? Well, I don't know if anybody here has, unbeknownst to them, while traveling in the United States, got caught in the insanity of the normal, everyday, workday, American commute in big cities. Yep. I've gotten in caught in two of them. Uh, the family just, you know, visiting Los Angeles one time, the other time visiting, uh, driving through Dallas to go and visit my uh, grandparents when they had a, a, a place down in, in McCallum, Texas, near the border, and they would snowbird down there. So we drove down to visit, so we, were, we drove through Dallas. And uh, those two, I cannot fathom how somebody could do that day in and day out. And obviously that those highways are so packed um, and it is so long and so frustrating. I can't believe that. And it's obviously there's that many people on the road because this is a daily occurrence for them. It Every is, single day. It is hours and hours and hours of your life stolen from you a week yeah. through your commute. <laughs> but didn't you hear didn't you hear freeways solve everything? Freeways solve all the traffic problems. <laughs> well, I, yeah, there's 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 certainly arguments uh, <laughs> uh, for that, um, but it is a wild, wild thing. And uh, you know, driving just through, we're staying in Palm Springs, driving to Los Angeles, getting caught in that craziness. Um, I'm just, I was, I was more blown away by the amount of people that uh, this was something that was normal. And yep. to me, it was. Uh, this the eighth layer of hell, uh, past uh, uh, Ulysses uh, burning in for eternity in Dante's Inferno. You know, like it's just insanity. Well, I'll piggyback on that. I might as well go now, just because mine is is similar. Uh, last summer, well, not this past summer, but yeah. I guess two summers ago, now drove from Winnipeg all the way to to San Diego, and drove through many major U.S. cities. Was fortunate not to be doing it mostly in rush hour. But I'm five miles from Carlsbad and getting to my buddy's house and we hit a brick wall of traffic and a piece of construction equipment had overturned on the freeway Mm. and we had left Phoenix earlier that morning. It's about a five and a half hour drive to San Diego from Phoenix and we ended up taking an hour to do our final five miles. I mean, you travel that far, driving that fast, you know, you're driving 80 miles an hour for most of the day, and then crawled the last five miles to where we were going to my buddy's place in in Carlsbad. It was so frustrating. I wanted to, Jackie would say, I'd rather stick a sharp pencil in my eye than deal with that. (laughs) And I know, you know, you know, traffic's bad here sometimes. I'm not saying it isn't, but it is nowhere near the levels it is there. And so it's, it's a good part about living in a, in a smaller city. That's for sure. And uh, Forte, what about you? Back when we were working at Polo Park. Now Christmas time is always crazy around the mall. It's absolutely ridiculous, but the worst is boxing day. And I remember there's one day I had to work (laughs) boxing day and, uh, we got underground parking, and I didn't even know there was a underground parking garage in our building for years. <laughs> yeah. And so I didn't know where the door was, and it was Boxing Day, and I passed it, like just passed, and I was like, okay, i got to go around the building. So to get around the building, it took me like 40 minutes, <laughs> 40 minutes 
But I, like, I luckily I left home super early because I knew traffic was going to be a nightmare. But I made just in time to work. I don't know if you're working the, uh, that I was. day. Yeah, I was phoning in. I was like, I'm here. I'm here. I'm stuck in my car. I'll be right there. Oh, <laughs> God, it was a nightmare. And I, I also have one that has to do uh, with a freeway situation. And if my buddy Mike is listening, let me take you back to 2001 in Houston, or Planet Houston, as General Zod would like to say in Superman 2, was when it was at the end of our <laughs> WrestleMania 17, WrestleMania X7 trip. And we had to, uh, you know, wake up early for the plane. I uh, The wake-up call came in, I think, at like 6. I picked up the phone and just hung it back up and, we, and went back to sleep. Not so, you. Uh, you mean you didn't just jump right out of bed? Well, my buddy didn't even react to it, so we both <laughs> kind of screwed each other there that way. But anyway, so we were we missed our first shuttle. We caught the second one, but then there was um, we we weren't moving. We just like sat still for thirty minutes, and eventually it came to. They said it was like a toxic chemical spill Great. across the road. So we're freaking out because we're already behind. We're still we still have plenty of time to get there. But we're nervous, and so we finally get moving. And then when we get to the the Houston airport, the way that it worked is the the terminals were all sort of stacked, so they would drop passengers off at one, and then they would loop back around. And we were in the fifth terminal, so so we're like, we got to get on this plane, and uh, we have it. We made it. We, it was like a Home Alone style run through the airport. But the chemical spill on the freeway almost sunk us, and I have no idea what it would have cost to change our flights because we won the trip. All right, now we want to introduce you to a Winnipeg teacher who is doing his very best to ensure his students recognize the sacrifices made by Canadian soldiers around the world. From a history club to a classroom dedicated to veterans' lives to war history tours in Europe, this teacher is committed to help kids reflect and understand the impact of all of it. In 2014, our guest was awarded a Minister of Veterans Affairs commendation for his commitment to remembrance and passion for teaching at Calvin High School. We welcome to the start teacher Chris Young. Chris, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for doing what you do, Chris. And and your students, past and present, seem to find engagement and and context in your approach. How, how do you approach these important lessons and this and this uh, critical part of our history? So I think the biggest thing is I want to convey to my students the impact that the wars had on our school. And it was just an incredibly traumatic experience for our students and for the community. And we had actually, if you can believe it, uh, just over 2,900 students who served in the two world wars at Calvin High School and just under 300 Calvin students who died. So then to make connections with current day students and the soldiers from the past, I think one of the best strategies is to get them to look at the students' military files, the soldiers' military files, so they can understand that these young men, and in some cases young women, they lived in the community, they lived in homes that some of my students have actually lived in, if you can believe that. They played sports, they had hobbies, and they weren't much older than them. And they went off to places like France and Belgium and Hong Kong and the Netherlands, and many of them never returned. So I think it's making those connections with young people that can then bring the past alive. So then what's that like for you to see 
that connection being formed to see the interest that these young people might take? It's just incredibly satisfying. I really, from the beginning of my career to now, I just I'm just always amazed and thrilled to work with young people because uh, they just they they buy into it and it's very meaningful for them. And I'd like to think that after they leave high school, that this will be an interest and a passion for them after high school and that they will take their own children to Remembrance Day services and that they'll care deeply about this issue. Kelvin High School teacher Chris Young is our guest this morning as we head towards Remembrance Day on Saturday. And Chris, lots of incredible sights in Europe, places to visit around the world. But what is it like to take a, a group of high school students to Normandy to visit the places where so many made the ultimate sacrifice to see the monuments to their efforts and, and you know, at the same time, see it through your students' eyes? Yeah, those trips were just incredible. I haven't done one since the pandemic, um, but we, we went to places like Beni Sormer on Juno Beach, I had students present in cemeteries in Berlin, in the Netherlands. Uh, I had a student who actually marched in the Men and Gate ceremony in Ypres in his full uniform representing the Winnipeg Rifles. So to see the kids just get engaged um, and to see the way that they took the research of their own soldiers, because what I did was I, I gave every student a, a military file where they studied the Kelvin soldiers' history, and then we went to visit their tombstone or um, we went to the memorial where they're commemorated, and then the students presented uh, their their soldiers' uh, life to the rest of the group. And I could just always see that they had made these incredible uh, connections with them. And as I say, it's just, in, just so satisfying as a teacher to to see them care so much about the past and to take it so seriously. Chris Young is a teacher at Kelvin High School. Thank you so much for joining us. And once again, just as Greg said, thanks for doing what you're doing on this front uh, because it's uh, important to, to keep our young people engaged and, and it's important to help them continue to remember. So thank you. Thanks for having me. It is Mackling and McGarry. McNabb's off today. We have a list of school closures here and some daycares as well. Uh, All schools in the following divisions are closed. Lakeshore School Division, Lord Selkirk, Sunrise, and Interlake. We've also got St. Laurent School in the Prairie School Division. And in the DSFM, we've got Ecole Aurel-Lemoyne in St. Laurent and Ecole St. George. Bus cancellation, Rolling River School Division, buses are cancelled, but the schools are open, including colonies, and then some daycare and learning centres. Springfield Learning Centre in Enola and Hazel Ridge closed. Gillis Play and Learn Centre in Tyndall. Stonewall Children's Centre and Happy Time Nursery School in Bosager. They are all closed. So we've got that list at cjob.com. One of our listeners saying coming in, Highway Number 1 East, bad roads, nothing cleared into the city from Fermore, still no equipment out. Uh, some editorialization here from, from our listener. It must be nice to stay home when it snows. Some people can, can't stay home when it snows. They've got to get to work. And so if the highways and the roads are not in the proper condition, be stressful. And as uh, Bill pointed out, uh, Brett uh, also 
potentially very dangerous. And a reminder we have, to, oh, by the way, congratulations to Michael Walsh, who won the wine festival tickets that we gave away at the end of last hour. That's for the Saturday, January 27th matinee tasting. And we've got one more pair of tickets to give away tomorrow on the start. Also, we've got tickets to give away for the West final. And we're asking you about a time you got stuck in traffic due to a unique situation like Kent Ulrich, who says years back I was in Chicago for work and I left in good time to get it, get to O'Hare airport from downtown, made it onto I-90, then came to a complete stop, uh-huh. which is not unusual for the I-90. However, after 20 minutes, I noticed there was no traffic in the opposite lanes. Then over the cab's radio, I heard the I-90 had closed for the then president Bill Clinton's motorcade to travel from the airport to downtown Chicago. They closed the highway in both directions for 90 minutes, and overall it took three hours to go 28 kilometers. The good old Dan Ryan. Dan Ryan Expressway. Not a lot of fun if you're stuck in traffic or the president happens to be popping by. (laughs) Gary says props to the RM of St. Andrews. Plows out in Clandeboy and props to Manitoba Highways with trucks on Highway 9. Small town salute. Three Manitoba communities are among the fastest growing municipalities in the country, according to census data from Statistics Canada. That is the headline from a global news story from February of 2022. So according to that same report, Brett, the town of Niverville was the fifth fastest growing municipality in all of Canada, growing in population by 29% between the years 2016 and 2021. It was also the fastest growing community in all the Prairie provinces. West St. Paul and Nipawa also made that list of rapidly expanding communities, which lie outside the city of Winnipeg. Joining us this morning, Margot Cathcart. She's Chief Executive Officer, Rural Manitoba Economic Development Corporation. Margot, Great to speak with you. Wonderful to be here. Thanks so much for giving us the opportunity to talk about the exciting things in rural. Well, yeah, clearly things are happening in rural Manitoba. And these three places are merely examples of how attractive life in rural Manitoba has become. Off the top of my head, I could list five or six others quite easily that are doing incredible things or booming by leaps and bounds. What's driving this, Margot? There's a variety of things that's driving it. One is just the incredible creativity and innovation that Manitobans have and the resiliency overall, and that is a foundation for everything that we want to do. But we underestimate what's actually out there in rural and the advantages that it can bring in terms of space, in terms of access to commodities, workforce, labour, um, there's, a, there's a variety of different things. The communities that you mentioned specifically have invested in the time and energy to create these fantastic strategies so they can be laser focused on the things that they want to be able to do for their communities. And that helps rally all of the momentum. Speaking of momentum, your organization, Rural Manitoba Economic Development Corporation, tell us about your organization and how it helps to keep that momentum going. Well, we've only been around for a couple of years, Um, so we're still in building momentum ourselves, and we started out uh, in order to be able to bring some of the same resources to rural Manitoba that Community Economic Development Fund provided in the north and Economic Development Winnipeg provides in Winnipeg. And so our mandate is to support economic development south of the 53rd parallel and outside of the city of Winnipeg. And so that's a, that's a huge area. 
That includes everything from working with local councils and economic development officers to help with that laser-focused planning that I mentioned, through to representing them on the international stage if there's an opportunity to work on foreign direct investment, to work on workforce development and and labour attraction, and um, just helping people figure out where they want to go because success is different for every community depending upon what the local priorities are. Margo, uh, over the last several months, uh, dare I say the last several years, we've been discussing doctor shortages. Uh, daycare space has been in, in our focus this past week. Two examples of services critical to making life anywhere practical, let alone attractive. What are some others and how are you approaches, approaching some of these challenges for, for rural Manitoba? Well, those certainly are two that are top of mind, and they definitely have an impact not just on quality of life, but in the ability to uh, support economic development and attract workforce and so on. Um, Along with that is, uh, as I mentioned, the ability to really get laser-focused on what communities want to do so that they can focus the limited resources that they have. Not every opportunity is a good fit in every location. And so understanding where those advantages are and being able to take advantage of them are important because in our role, when we're trying to facilitate matching opportunities to appropriate communities, we want to make sure that we're taking the investment to the right place, not just any place. And that increases the probability of it taking and it being a success. And likewise, if a community really wants to be focused on tourism, and attracting people coming to their neighborhood that way, they don't want us knocking on their door with a, with an opportunity to build a manufacturing facility. So it's so understanding that, the the value proposition and understanding what communities really want is is paramount. Before we let you go, um, earlier this year in the summertime, I made my first first ever visit to the region of Clear Lake, and you know in that town, uh, I. I remember even just saying to my buddies, like, I would not mind moving here. And I don't know if it was just the, you know, it was a calmer community or maybe it's the combination of it being such a calm and wonderful place and just life now is so fast paced. Do you think that maybe that's one of the reasons that's contributing to growth outside of the city is people just trying to find a life that maybe isn't quite so hectic? I think that certainly plays into it. Certainly one of the advantages of Manitoba is that you can you really can have it all. And I had the opportunity to highlight that um, on a trip recently. And it was interesting to look at the people I was talking to when you said, you know, you can have world-class sports events, world-class music and art in Winnipeg and, and in Brandon at the university. And at the same time, you can have a cabin, you can be on the water, you can go hiking, you can do all of these sorts of things and still afford a a winter vacation if that's what you want. So lifestyle, I think, is a very, very significant part of what makes Manitoba so attractive and in particular rural Manitoba because you have the ability to go back and forth and, and really have it all quickly and easily. We're connected now, Margo, so if you have interesting, exciting things happening in these rural communities, we'd love to take a look at them in these segments and uh, celebrate, as we do every Thursday at this time, uh, life outside the city of Winnipeg. Small town salute. Margo Cathcart, Chief Executive Officer, Rural Manitoba Economic Development Corporation. Thank you, and thanks for what you're doing to, to promote life in rural Manitoba. 
Oh, I've got the best job ever. It's so exciting to see what's going on out there. I'm sure we'll be talking often. All right, Margo, thank you very much for joining us. Small Town Salute every Thursday, just after 7.35. And it's great to hear of all the good things happening in rural Manitoba, but of course the highways this morning, not so great. And we had uh, one listener, Suzanne from Grand Marais, uh, reporting there was a crash on Highway 8 southbound just before Northumberland. And then a follow-up report from Suzanne saying cement truck just left the highway into the ditch on Highway 8 just before Grasmere. So it sounds like Highway 8 not great. And then Gary Jenkins saying, you know, asking drivers on Highway 8 to zipper merge because the left lane is backed up more than a kilometer and the right lane is wide open as you approach some of this stuff. Yeah, Victor Costa also talking about this crash on Highway 8. So if you are in that part of the province heading into the city or heading out of the city, you will encounter that. So uh, heads up. Well, uh, just plain and simply, the mayor of Winnipeg, Scott Gillingham, joins us for his monthly in-studio visit. And Mayor Gillingham, great to see you. Uh, We understand you have a bet with the mayor of Vancouver on Saturday's game. We'll ask you about that in a moment. But as we look out on the streets, and we've had some issues, as Brett mentioned, we had traffic signals at Logan and Maine. We've got a crash on the St. James Bridge, which seems to be impacting Keniston. But all summer and into this fall, it's been construction. And so we've had these questions ongoing for the last several weeks. Where is typically the cutoff of when construction should be done? And is there a concern that these projects are seem to be taking so long to get completed, at least, at least from this side of it? Well, first of all, I want to thank Winnipeggers for their patience. Motorists have been patient this summer. We have had a record roads budget this year, so there has been a lot of construction on the roads. It's a double-edged sword because we need the work done, but on the other hand, there's no other way to do it except to close lanes and let the crews work. Crews will work as long as they can into the fall, and uh, so there are some projects that will have to get you know, carried over to the new year, and so we do have a few projects that uh, for that that, that, where that will happen, but there has been record around, amounts of, uh, of, of of budget put towards invested in roads this year. Yeah, looking at the forecast next week, it looks like you guys will get a bit of a break because we're seeing a lot of temperatures in above zero. So hopefully that'll allow some of that work to finish up. Um, downtown was on our radar again this week. Kate Fenske uh, from Downtown Winnipeg Biz, part of a group looking for the federal government to get involved in helping downtowns across the country with everything from sidewalk reconstruction to incentives to ensure the 30% vacancy rate for storefronts uh, get fixed. So are we getting closer to a strategy to re-energize Winnipeg's downtown? We are. We have a Center Plan 2050, which uh, is the city of Winnipeg's plan that will come out relative, you know, be, before too long, within the next couple months, I believe. And it really talks about how we're going to reinvigorate, redevelop uh, our, our downtown. But there's a lot of good work that's happening already. There's a lot of exciting investment. The Mantle of Métis Federation, under President Chartrand, has made significant investments in the downtown. Of course, the quarter, a Portage of Maine with the Bank of Montreal building that will be converted to the Manitoba Métis Heritage Centre. Uh, MMF just purchased 200 Main Street as well. Uh, on on Broadway, the Gold Canada Revenue Agency building is being transformed into a hotel. Uh, Walwanisa Insurance building that's almost completed. You know, crew, um, uh, employees will be moving into there, and you know there also is uh, talk about the potential of Portage Place and its redevelopment. 
And and then, of course, uh, the Bay Building uh, by Southern Chiefs Organization, uh, their plans are, are beginning to take shape as well. So there's a lot of investment happening in the downtown. What I will say, Brad, is, yeah, he and the downtown biz were, are kind of pivotal and integral to, to de- delivering on that. And a lot of it was just that, Greg. It was about beautifying the downtown, fixing up sidewalks, fixing the planters, um, just just making, you know, the curbs, uh, make sure they're repaired, just making our downtown look better. It's going to take some time, but we're focused on that. I also campaigned on delivering on what's called neighborhood action teams. We'll, we'll see those roll out uh, next next spring, and they'll kind of be this uh, this team of uh, individuals that just kind of descend upon an area and, and fix up, you know, everything there that needs to be fixed up. Graffiti. 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 I have a, I have a friend who's uh, in the business community, and one of the things he does is he entertakes, entertains folks from all over North America, tries to convince them to come to Winnipeg to, to build their projects here. He relayed to me a story of traveling southbound on Main Street, Norwood Bridges over the Cinnaboyne. CN has their overpass going across Main Street, covered in graffiti. And he told me it was measurable. He could tell that the individual he was with from elsewhere looked at that and kind of, you could see his, that person's shoulders sort of slump. It's little things like that that I know people are concerned about in terms of the image of our city. So long way around, who's responsible for these things? And do we have a policy in terms of, you know, CN, if that's your responsibility, you have so long to fix it. That whole broken window policy, you know, from New York back in the 1990s. Well, yeah, if it's on, you know, if there's graffiti on on private uh, sector assets, then you know, most often they are responding to that and, and fixing that up. But our business do a great job. Our, you know, our downtown business, I know, you know I represented St. James as an area councillor for eight years. That biz zone and all of our biz zones uh, work together to have a, a graffiti, rem- uh, graffiti removal program. And um, those run most of the time in the summer as well. But um, yes, we, we need to, we need to care about our city. It's, and it's easy and it's fair. It's easy to um, for individuals to perhaps complain about it, but um, I'm more focused on and appreciate the people who are working very hard to do all they can to to care for the city, uh, to pick up garbage, and make sure that um, you know our our place looks our our city looks great. And that's why I'm bringing this up on behalf of this individual because I know how hard he's working. Right. To make a difference. So, so is there a way for us to, you know, I'll go and check it out today. If that graffiti's still there, I have a sense that it is. Is there a mechanism for us to put pressure on a group like CN to correct that? Conversations can always be had with with, with uh, you know private sector owners if they're owning assets like like a bridge or a building, but again the city of Winnipeg through our through biz zones and uh, that, that we support try to find a way to work with businesses to make sure that we can you know uh, help businesses address things like graffiti. Well, just to follow up on graffiti as well because we had a chat a few months ago about <clears throat> I provided the Osborne Bridge as an example and uh, because it was just covered on both sides. And uh, within a few days of our conversation, it was gone. Uh, so thank you for that. But but it's what it, what it feels like you're just chasing your tail because as soon as you clean it up, it's back. I mean, it's not as nearly as bad as it was when we talked a few months back. But like within days of all that hard work of all the cleaning that the crews did, people come back and they just do it again. So it's just like you know, I imagine it would be frustrating for. Uh, the the crews who are involved with the city to go out and do this only to know that 
Is this going to matter in two weeks, two days, two months? Winnipeg Police Service does have individuals, uh, staff members, dedicated to to graffiti because graffiti is a is a form of vandalism. It's you know you're you're making you know, kind of a marks on on either private sector, as I said, assets or city of Winnipeg bridges, um, buildings, garbage cans, and so we we do take it seriously. Yes, you're right, Brett. Sometimes it feels like everyone involved is chasing their tail and just. They get one thing cleaned up and go down the road and they've got something else to clean up. They fix it and come back the next day and, and it can be there again. But it's something the city of Winnipeg takes seriously. And as I said, uh, especially our biz zones do a really good job of their graffiti removal programs. Okay. Uh, two questions. Uh, one, you know, already know what the question is. The other is uh, you were at the, the old Carnegie Library yesterday. Yes. Uh, how did you get out of there without like not just telling everybody to leave you alone? Like what an incredible place, the, the city archives and the history. And I know, I know you love that stuff. It's it, an important project to preserve, not only that building. I was devastated when there was prospects of maybe not fixing it. That's obviously, is that complete now? And, and just tell us what's going on. No, there. It's, it's an exciting project. The, the project is, is, is about to be, to begin uh, to renovate and restore that Carnegie Library on William to once again be the home, the long-term home of the Winnipeg Archives. It's a $12.9 million project that we as a council have committed to. We've approved that project, and it is going to be our Winnipeg 150 legacy project. Yesterday, you were, you were reporting that it was the anniversary, the 150th anniversary of the city of Winnipeg's incorporation. We officially became a city 150 years ago yesterday. The first council meeting of Winnipeg, and there was 2,000 people, about 1,800 people living in Winnipeg at the time. The first council meeting was January 19th, 1874. So we'll celebrate our 150th all through 2024. But the what is the Carnegie Library, that, that building has been and will become once again the Winnipeg Archives. It's it's a fantastic building. It's it's uh, Tyndall Stone. It's beautiful, but it needs uh, needs a lot of work. What we're going to do is make sure that we have um, qual- um, air air control, uh, humidity control, temperature control, so that the Winnipeg Archives are, are cared for as they should be. Go ahead, Greg. I know you got a question about a bet. Yeah, what's the bet? Mayor Sim with Vancouver on Saturday's game. Lions bombers. The, yes, uh, go bombers go. Um, and when the Bombers are successful and win, Mayor Sam, Mayor of Vancouver will wear a Blue Bomber uniform or j- jersey. I'll send it to him, and he'll wear it uh, during council, in one of his next council meetings. So we don't need to talk about what will happen in the converse situation, right? In the very unlikely scenario that it goes the other way, uh, there's, there will be a, a, a Lions jersey coming <sighs> my way. But I'm, I'm confident in our team. Uh, they're prepared. They're ready to go. It's going to be a great game Saturday. Go Blue. Mayor Scott Gillingham joining us live for a monthly visit. Mr. Mayor, thank you for the time as always, sir. We appreciate it. Thank you. Mackling and McGarry McNabb is off today, tomorrow, and next week for a chance to win tickets for the West Final on Saturday at IG Field, Bombers and Lions. We want to know about a time that you got stuck in traffic due to a unique or super unusual situation like uh, one of our runners up here, Greg, just trying to get to work for their brand new job. (laughs) A week long training at my new job. I got stuck by a train that was going back and forth on Notre Dame. I had to message my new manager who was not impressed with me. I'd left early that day just in case, but 
Still wasn't enough time, and I had to do the walk of shame into the classroom as I was ultimately five minutes late. What are you supposed to do in that situation? I don't know. Like, do you gotta, are you supposed to leave 30 to 45 minutes early every day just in case you get stopped by a train that decides to go back and forth? Back Only and forth? Winnipeg, I guess. Uh, what about David? Another runner-up here with an interesting story out of California. Oh, yeah, and I was, in 2010, I was hauling a load of flax to the port. I'm going to guess Long Beach, California, on Interstate 5. I saw a truck pulling two trailers coming up on the on-ramp to merge onto the highway. Said to myself as I watched, he is going too fast. Sure enough, like a slow-mo scene from a movie, the truck started leaning, followed by the first trailer, and then the second, and over he went. Stuck on the highway for three hours as they cleaned the 18 inches... Not snow, not sand, 18 inches of freshly cleaned almonds that lined the three lanes of the bridge. Best part of the wait was watching folks get out of their vehicles to fill their pockets, bags, anything they could pack the expensive, tasty treats in. And wow. Dave says, enjoy your day and stay safe. That would be quite the <laughs> sight. But uh, Colin Pollock is our winner this morning with a rather unique Traffic story on foot because Colin says went to Disney in October last year for Halloween. We are at the Magic Kingdom for the special event with a parade that was supposed to start at 7 p.m. So people started lining up on the side of the street in Disney around 6. So my wife and kids went to grab a spot on the side of the street around 6.20 while I ran to grab us some snacks. At some point, my wife saw a better spot across the street and crossed with the kids, but within sight of where I would come out so she could wave and I could join them. Well, apparently in Disney, even though the parade starts at 7, you aren't allowed to cross the street after 6.30. So here I am, coming out of a cafeteria, <laughs> carrying food for four, and I can't cross the street! Well, it was tough for my kid and my wife and my kids to watch me eat the fries and funnel cakes <laughs> while waving at Halloween Mickey. <laughs> it worked out just fine for Colin, yeah. by the sounds of things. That's a win-win for you right there, Colin. So congratulations, <laughs> Colin, going to the Bomber game on Saturday, the Western Final at IG Field. And um, you must be, like, I'm excited for, to see what happens, but you're the you're like the bomber fan of bomber fans. Yeah, uh, thank you for saying that. Um, it comes with a burden. <laughs> I, I, as I mentioned earlier, I, I'm super excited. Obviously, all that's implied, all that happens if the Blue Bombers win, we don't talk about that yet. Uh, but I'm super nervous just based on how good the BC Lions are. It has nothing to do with my faith, my belief, and how good the Blue Bombers are. I just I just nervous, very, very nervous. It's gonna be good. It is going to be good. But right now, we want to visit with someone we haven't spoken to, quite frankly, in years since well before the before times. And you know, one of the one of the great joys of this job is we get to meet just all kinds of really interesting people and. One year back when we were still doing our afternoon show, Greg, uh, we met an author from Calgary who was in town for Comic-Con. And as a result of that visit, because it was so much fun, we had him back on the show multiple times. And now his story has evolved and we'd like to share it because he's gotten back in the game, so to speak, after a lengthy battle with issues relating to mental wellness. 
And so before we start here, I want to commend Adam for being willing to share this with us. Adam, good morning. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me back. And it's, uh, yeah, I'm more than happy to share my story. So Adam Dries, our guest today. And before we get into what you've been going through and how you bounce back, let's reintroduce you to our audience because you've got a pretty cool story. Living the dream as a writer, you weren't always doing that, right? That's correct. And, you know, I've always gone back and forth between uh, being in technology and writing. But like a lot of people, you know, I, I had that thing I wanted to do someday. Right. So like for 25 years, I did nothing with my writing. And by that, I mean, like I wrote it. Maybe I shared it with a couple of friends, but I never kind of took it seriously. And then in 2009, my appendix decided to try to kill me and then turn my life upside down for a year and a half. And that was one of those pivotal moments that we have in our lives where it's like, you know what, I'm going to do things differently at this point. And so you know, you have to get kind of the trauma of that out. And then, then I just decided to, to do it. And I, uh, I wrote 12 books over the span of three and a half years. I've got my Yellow Hoods series, which is a great young adult stories for, uh, for in the realm of steampunk and fairy tales. So really exciting, kind of Harry Potter-esque. And then I wrote a science fiction novel, Man of Cloud Nine. And I wrote um, some post-apocalyptic uh, dark fantasy stuff. I was having a great great uh, time. And so, you know, I'm going to skip over because we'll talk about it in a minute where I am today. You know, I've finally been able to kind of get back into things and doing that on the side. Well, so you, like you mentioned there, like you had that prolific run where you were just pumping out content in different genres, science fiction, fantasy, and all that stuff. But, you know, how, how, like you've only gotten back into it this year. How many years did you have to step away from the writing? Yeah, uh, it was about five years, and um, I have about 17 books that I wrote in that period, somewhere between 50 and 80% done, that as I was going through, at one point, it just turned to sand. And what happened was, um, you know, I was being really uh, prolific. Like a lot of people, you know, I didn't realize I had issues with uh, anxiety. I had undiagnosed um, adult ADHD, but I was also battling depression, and I was outrunning the wave, right? I was able to get the book set. I could kind of feel that something wasn't right. And at one point it just caught up with me and kind of overtook. And, you know, when you've got some parts of your life that are working really well and other parts, you know, like for me, that writing that just, that just wasn't, you kind of wonder, well, do you just kind of need to kick yourself in the butt or like kind of what, what's wrong there? Um, and I just couldn't get restarted. And every time I would start getting pretty far in writing something, it's like the anxiety monster would wake up, come stomp on me. And so then the end of last year, um, you know, I was at a point where it's like, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm dragging dry, I'm dragging all those folders of, of books that are not completed. I'm putting them into a forget about it so that, you know, you don't end up with that pressure of, well, should I write something new? I didn't finish this other stuff. And then if you try to finish the other stuff, it's like, yeah, but I want to write something new and you get caught in this horrible loop. And so I decided to try doing something that I'd want to do since I was a kid. I've always loved um, tabletop role-playing games, like a bunch of people. I played Dungeons and Dragons and I got my kids into it. Um, and so I, I decided to just, just try writing a book of magical items to enhance those kind of games. So D&D &D and similar ones. And I found that I could, I could write just one. I could take like 15 minutes and, and put an idea down. And by the time I was finished with that, that's when the anxiety monster would show up. 
but then I was kind of done. And so I could take these really small inching steps and slowly rebuild my confidence. And then in April, I was able to put the first one out. And now I'm doing a Kickstarter for the second one. And we're just short of 400% funded. Adam, that's incredible. And your, your story and your willingness to share it with us is, is something special. So I got to ask you, you talk about this yeah. anxiety monster. You've got kids, you've got this career, you've got a name, expectations not only placed on you internally, but I'm sure from others that know you probably asking, how are you doing? When's the next book coming out? How did you juggle all that? How did you manage that? And what was it that allowed you? What step were, did you manage to take to finally just get a hold of that, as you call it, that, that monster that is anxiety? Well, you know, when all of this started hitting me uh, around late 2018, um, I was also faced with a choice. I, I had stepped away from my technical career for three and a half years, so I'd just been writing as well as being able to be there for my kids, potty train my youngest, um, you know, dad, my tummy hurt. So it was, a, it was a fantastic time. And then as this was happening and I realized, you know, it's like I couldn't, I couldn't deliver, I couldn't perform that writing, I couldn't get it to where it was, you know, mortgage payment level money on a consistent basis. I decided, you know what, I need to shift things up. And so, you know, I did, I did go back to the, the tactical um, job. But, you know, you talk about those expectations, that would be haunting, right? You have this idea of you've got these fans, you're letting them down. And people would, would mean it in the most wonderful way going, hey, how, how's, it, how's it going? You know, am I going to see that fourth novel of this or you know I, I wanted to see you know we're going to get a sequel for that and then you start feeling like they're talking about a version of you that doesn't exist anymore and there's you know you go through those feelings of shame and you go through all that what one point you have to stop and say you know what i need to i need to start doing some things differently because i don't like feeling like this anymore and um i'm one of those people i i will go to the ends of the earth to help friends or team members or whatnot but I, I'm terrible at taking care of myself. And I got to that point where I had to say, you know what, I can't live under other people's expectations. And I'm just going to try to treat this as a new version of me. And it's funny because I, I've given these kind of talks at writers' conferences for years where I've said sometimes when you go through a traumatic thing, you aren't the same person. And you're going to go through this feeling of mourning of who you used to be. Right. Because part of you wants to be like that. Right. In the same way that, you know, I've got chronic pain from my appendix stuff that I mentioned at the beginning of, of our chat that I, I can't do some things I could do before. It doesn't mean I'm worse. I just have to come to understand who I am now. So, you know, I, I talked openly about it. I found that sharing my story with people as I was going along and encouraging them, um, that slowly started to help. But probably the biggest thing was changing the kind of people and the place where I worked. I had to be around good people, right? It allowed me to recharge. I had no idea how big of an impact that would have on me. So that really, at the end of the day, the, the change the environment around me, the, I, I do a really simple workout every single morning when I get up. I mean, it's only five minutes, but it's amazing how after a year and a half of doing that, it really it really helps reset you. 
And Adam, when you look at what's going on just this past week, I've been following your exploits on Instagram. I know that you launched a bit of a Kickstarter and I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but based on the way it went over, I would say that uh, some of your, your supporters and fans uh, really are continue to be in your corner in a big way. Uh, you know what? That has absolutely blown me away. Um, so I, I launched the Kickstarter last Friday. There's nine days left. I had, I had a target of $500 for this new book. And we are right now at 1970 So just short of 400% with more than half the time still to go. Um, and it, it's been amazing. Some of these are, you know, long-time existing fans. Some of these are completely new folks who are finding me on Kickstarter. And, yeah, it is I, – I hoped, you know, quietly – I had hoped that maybe we'd get to 2000 um, and I, I was fairly confident we could get to 500, but you always have that pit in your stomach. Like is everything you've just rebuilt about to collapse. And that's a horrible feeling for anybody to have. And I, I, um, I just want to share that sometimes you just got to trust the people around you. And this is one of my expectations the way I have no idea where we're going to land in nine days. Um, could be 600%, could be a thousand percent. I have no idea. It's amazing. Well, the the courage to put yourself out there like that, to do what you did in the first place and what you've been doing, and then to be strong enough to take the step back and then to share this with us, with those around you and those that you inspire and those you connect with. Uh, Adam, we, we appreciate this very much. We, we wish you nothing but luck on this uh, renewed journey of writing. And, and please, please stay in touch with us because uh, you're, you're a special person and uh, you've inspired us along the way since we met you. Oh, thanks very much. And you know what? Um, as somebody who talked to me about his dyslexia from the very beginning, and now, you know, I kind of, I have jokingly referred to these as extra bonuses that I've got um, for motivation. Uh, it's great. But, you know, when I talk about leaning into that network that I've got, you know, you guys are included in that. I will never forget, you know, your generous offer to be on the show the first time. And then that helps created this, uh, this friendship. And anybody who's kind of curious about uh, what I'm doing, they can go to adamdrees.com slash Kickstarter. And Dries is D-R-E-E-C-E. Adam, always a pleasure. Great to speak to you again after all these years. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. I have all the best, guys.